Children's Church is now dismissed. If you all want to head down there. It's a great message. To live is Christ, to die is gain. In every age, that truth is still the same. It was true when Paul spoke it. It is still true today. The greatest joy in life and the greatest purpose in life is to live for Christ. And when this life is over, when we go home, what a joy and a glory that is. Uh, Far better, as Paul said, than being here is to be at home with Christ. It's been a good morning already with the music, with the message from our missionaries, with the songs we've had and scriptures together. Now we get the privilege of opening the Word of God and coming to, uh, to hear from Him, and uh, there's still more coming. We have communion as well at the end this morning. I invite you to take your Bibles and open to the book of Hebrews chapter 13. As we uh, come to the end of summer, welcome to the last Sunday of summer. Uh, all you here this morning, and those of you folks at home as well, uh, it's good to be together this day. We also are coming today to the end of our study in Hebrews, uh, last message from Hebrews. We're in chapter 13, it will be in verses 18 to 21 this morning. I hope you have a Bible out. Uh, it's good to follow along in the text and see for yourself what's here. You know, if, if someone says... Uh, I love my family. I really value my family. But they rarely spend time with them. They're always at work. They're always on the golf course. They're always somewhere else. We might question whether they really value their family. If someone says, I'm a Cardinals fan. I love the Cardinals. But they've never actually attended a game. They've uh, rarely, only rarely watch a game on TV or listen on the radio. They can tell you absolutely nothing of what's going on uh, with, the, with the players, with the schedule, with the standings in the league. Um, they know nothing about the season. We might question whether they're really a Cardinals fan. If someone says they value building savings for uh, a rainy day for, you know, while you store up now so when there's a time of need, you have something. But they don't actually have a bank account, no piggy bank, and everything they make, they spend immediately on uh, often very trivial things. We would question whether they really value savings. I imagine if we went around to most everyone here in this church, and you guys at home, as well as if we went around to most of the churches around this country, and we talked to Christians and we asked this question, do you value prayer? Most every Christian would say, well, yes, of course I do. But I would say we could the evidence of whether we really value prayer would show up in the amount of time we spend in prayer, the priority that we put on prayer, the effort and the um, focus that we expend and put on prayer. 
And I would say for many of us, if we measure that way, we would say, maybe I don't value prayer very much. Now, honestly, I don't think that I I have ever met in all my years in the church, all my years as pastor, I don't think I've ever met a Christian who would say, you know, I spend too much time in prayer. You know, Pastor, I, I, really, I really value prayer too highly and I focus on it too much. I've never heard those words. So I think the reality is, no matter how much we value prayer, most of us feel we could do better. And probably most of us should do better. It's significant that as we come here to the end of the book of Hebrews, the author takes a few minutes to focus on prayer. And uh, we're going to look here this morning. There's, there's some wonderful lessons for us here in Hebrews 13. We're going to just follow along as I read the first two of our verses this morning, verses 18 and 19. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you, the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. The first thing that the author of Hebrews does in directing our focus to prayer is he calls for these readers of this letter to pray for him. He says, pray for us. Prayer is vital for ministry is the real message I want us to take away from these couple of verses. He asks for their prayers. Pray for us. And there's, an, there's a sense of urgency, a sense of desperation here. He practically begs for them to pray for him. He says there in verse 19, we read, I urge you all the more earnestly to do this. You know, it's very similar to what we hear from our missionary partners. It was good to focus for a few moments on our, on our missionaries this morning. The main thing we hear from our missionaries, the number one need they put to us, the number one request they have of us is pray for us. They would agree with this author and say, we need it. They believe that prayer is essential to the work they do. We might ask, why is prayer so important? I would say the answer simply is that it's powerful and effective. And that doesn't mean that prayer has some power of its own of its own nature, that prayer, that just saying words is powerful. It's not like people view magic, you know, magic incantations. You say some words and things happen. That's not at all the way it is. There is no power in the words of prayer itself. The power is in, is in the God to whom we pray. Prayer, you see, is the means through which God's power is unleashed because he has chosen to give to us prayer as a way, he's provided it to us as a way for us to participate with him in accomplishing his purpose. He has chosen to to act when we pray and to invite us to pray. And so prayer is significant. 
It is powerful and effective, as it says earlier in the book. The author here asks for three prayer requests to inform us of three things which he believes that prayer does. Prayer, he says, we, he, he says we are sure that we have a clear conscience. We might wonder, wait a minute, that doesn't sound like a prayer request. We're talking here about prayer requests that he has. That doesn't sound like a prayer request. It sounds like a statement. It is a statement. We are sure we have a clear conscience. But there's a prayer request tied up in there, if you'll indulge me a moment. And it's really this. It's, the prayer request is based on this understanding that prayer changes hearts. See, he's saying that, that we are sure we have a clear conscience. He has been... Uh, sometimes to do the work of ministry takes speaking some things that are not easy to say, things that people don't necessarily want to hear. And he has said some of those things to the Hebrews. But the point is that we have a clear conscience. But the prayer request is that we need you to pray for us because while we have a clear conscience, what we recognize is it's very easy for us to not listen to our conscience. It's very easy for us to be not sensitive to our conscience. And prayer is the means by which uh, our hearts are aligned with our Lord Jesus Christ. So we follow His leading rather than simply going off on our own plans, our own agendas, and our own ideas. Prayer is essential because it changes our hearts, it fine-tunes our conscience. Prayer changes not only our hearts, but the hearts of those to whom we minister. The second thing that he believes about prayer, which we see here in his request to these Hebrew believers, was that prayer changes circumstances. Or excuse me, prayer changes actions. I'm getting ahead of myself. He says, we desire to act honorably in all things. We desire to do what is right. And so pray that we do it. Pray for your leaders. Pray for your missionaries. Pray for your pastor. Pray for your elders and deacons. Pray for all those who are serving Christ, that they will remain faithful to Christ. Pray as well for your parents and your children and your grandchildren and your grandparents, for one another in the body of Christ, that we will remain faithful to Christ. That we will stand in the hour of temptation rather than caving. That we will remain faithful to the mission, to the work of Christ to our commitments that will be focused on the mission rather than sidetracked and distracted on things that really don't matter. We need to pray for one another because prayer changes actions. Thirdly, he says, he calls for them to pray to, to, um, uh, to, Pray for us because we're sure that we have a clear conscience. We desire to act honorably in all things. But he says, I urge you to do this more earnestly for a purpose. 
And he says, in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. He believes that prayer changes circumstances. Something, you see, has been keeping the author of this letter from going to visit these Hebrew believers. He's been intending to, he's been attempting to, he wants to, but he can't. We don't know what the problem is. It may be prison. He may have been imprisoned for the sake of Christ. It may be illness. It may be financial problems. It may be political issues going on that's restricting things. It may be travel restrictions because of COVID-19. We don't know what it was that was keeping this guy from being able to to go to visit these believers, but he says, he's convinced of this, if you pray, God will answer your prayers and I will be restored to you. I'll be able to come to you much sooner. Prayer changes hearts. Prayer changes actions. and Prayer changes circumstances. And so because prayer really does change these things, When we pray for others as they serve Christ, we literally work alongside with them. That's why our missionary partners ask us continually, pray for us. Because when we do, we share the workload. We're picking up the tools and digging along with them. We're picking up the weapons, as it were, and going into battle with them. The Apostle Paul points this out in his letter to the Romans, chapter uh, chapter 15, where he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, notice, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. You will join in the fight. You will join in the work, in the labor. That strive means it's, it's hard work. By the way, if, if our prayer life isn't costing us anything, if it doesn't cost time and, you know, whatever else to us, it probably means we're not striving in prayer. And Paul says we ought to strive Join in with those who are serving in Christ. When we pray for our missionaries, when we pray for our pastors, when we pray for our leaders, when we pray for our teachers, when we pray for our children's ministry workers, our WANA leaders, when we pray for our youth camp counselors, we are joining in the work with them. We are sharing the labor, we are also sharing the fruits of their labor, and we are sharing in the rewards of their labor. And so let's pray for folks as they serve Christ. That's one of the big lessons we have here this morning. Prayer is vital for ministry, and we ought to be praying for those who are serving Christ. But next, the author moves from asking for prayer from these Hebrew believers, and he he now turns and starts to pray for them. And as he prays for them, we can learn better how to pray for one another. There's great value in learning from the prayers 
that we find in the pages of Scripture, learning from the saints who have modeled prayer before us, learning from our Lord Jesus, as we read earlier from Matthew 6, who said, this is how to pray, and He gave a model prayer for us, not a prayer to repeat, but a model for, for us to learn what prayer looks like, what needs to go into prayer. We did a study on that last year. You can go back if you weren't here and, and find it online and listen. He prays for them and helps us to learn how to pray for one another. Hopefully, as I read this prayer now in just a moment in verses 20 and 21, you'll recognize it. I hope because I hopefully you've been paying attention. And every so often when we close out our service, uh, I will almost always end with a benediction. Benediction simply means good words or words of blessing. And I often end with this particular prayer. It's a prayer of blessing. Follow along as I read verse 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I generally quote it in the old King James, which is the way I learned it so many years ago. But it's just as good in the ESV. I want us to dig in for a moment and, and notice a couple of things about this. First, notice that verse 20, uh, and by the way, what I say here is prayer blesses others. I say this is a prayer of blessing. It's a good way for us to bless others as we pray for them. The first thing I see in verse 20 is he lays out for us the foundation of his prayer. The basis upon which this prayer and the prayer request that he is about to give or about to ask of God, the, the basis upon which those are formed. He's going to ask God to do some things for these Hebrew believers and this basis gives the, the assurance that God is going to do what he asks. Four things to notice. He says, now may the God of peace, he talks about the peace of God, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. He talks about the power of God, God's power being displayed in Jesus' resurrection. He talks about the great shepherd of the sheep. He speaks of the protection and the care of God. And then, by the blood of the eternal covenant, he speaks of the purpose and the plan of God. There is a ton in those four little statements about the peace of God, the power of God, the, the protection of God, and the purpose of God, we're gonna, they, do, they warrant us looking into them deeper, and we're going to in a little bit. I'm going to move to the prayer requests and come back to these because these are going to lead us into our time of communion this morning. So let's move to the prayer request. There are three of them here, three of them as we focus here in verse 21. And he begins with, again, the subject is God, the God of peace, may he, and it skips right down to this, here's the request, may he equip you with everything good. May God equip you. Notice he doesn't pray for God to give them everything they want. 
God, may you give them whatever it is they desire, whatever they ask, would you give it to them? New houses, bigger houses, a new chariot, <laughs> a big, bigger flat screen mural on their wall, you know, whatever were the gadgets and the big desires of their day. He doesn't say give them everything they need. He doesn't even say make them well, keep them healthy, keep them from COVID. It's not wrong to pray about our needs, whether they be physical needs of health, whether they be needs for sustenance and things. We saw that in the prayer that Jesus prayed. Give us our daily bread. It's not wrong to pray for those things, but that is what we tend to focus upon. What's interesting is he doesn't pray about houses and cars and, and he doesn't pray about jobs and he doesn't pray, you know, that God will heal Aunt Teeny Teeny's gout and Uncle Bob's, you know, whatever, toenail fungus and all the other things we pray for. But most of our prayers are about the stuff and about being well. Health and wealth. We say we don't believe in the health and wealth gospel, but that's what we pray for most of the time. He does pray, may God equip you with everything good. But there's a little more to this. First of all, may God equip you with everything good. That, that little word equip, it's translated in the old King James, is make you perfect. That gets a little of the nuance that's here. It's more than just supply what you need. It's make you perfect means make you complete. That's another way you can translate that word is complete. It also can mean to, um, to prepare or to make something ready for use. It can also be translated as to mend, as to mend fishing nets. It's used that way in Scripture. If we take all of those and put them together, what he is, would be saying, if I can expand it, it would be like this. May God restore you from your brokenness. May he mend you. May he supply your insufficiencies, your inadequacies. May he complete what you lack to make you ready to be useful to God. That's what he's saying when he's saying, may he equip you with everything good. And that is good news, by the way, for all of us who ever feel inadequate, for all of us who ever feel insufficient, for all of us who feel like I just don't measure up, it's okay to pray, God, give me everything I need. Give them everything they need for everything good. But it brings us right to the next part of the request. May God equip you with everything good that you may do His will. May God equip you and may you do His will. Two things, I guess, to notice out of that. First of all, is that God equips us for the purpose of doing His will. 
Everything that God has built into us, our abilities, our talents, everything He has built into us, our capabilities, the ability to think and to move, to speak, He has given to us for the purpose of serving Him. Everything that God has given to us in terms of our resources, our time, our money, our strength, He has given to us for a purpose, to do His will. Not simply to take our, our capabilities and our, and our resources and simply use them for whatever we desire and whatever we want our own plans, our own aims. But yet, if you are like me, true confessions, the majority of the time when we wake up in the morning, my thought is, what am I going to do with my day? What's on my agenda? What are my plans? When I look at the paycheck, when I look at the money in the bank, when I look at what's in my pocket, I, I think, what am I going to spend this on? What do I want to do? What do I need? What do I desire? Rarely is it that my first thought every morning and throughout the day is it, God, what do you want me to do with your day? God, what is it you want me to do with your money which you have put in my pocket? God, what, you, what do you want me to do with, with the capabilities you have built into me in the time that I have this day? But that's what he prays for. May God equip you with everything good so that you may do his will. And so the first thing I notice about this is I have to ask myself the question, is that my aim? To use all I am and all I have for Him. That is the prayer we, we need. That's the prayer your brother and sister in Christ need. Along with that, recognize that God never asks us to do anything that He does not equip us for. I don't know what you're going to face this afternoon. I don't know what you will face this week. But God will not put you in a situation. He will not put anything on your plate. He will not... Uh, ask or require anything of you for which He will not equip you. But it is right for us to ask for God to do that for others because remember, prayer is the means by which God has provided to us for us to unleash His power to accomplish His purpose in our lives. And so while God does it, it is right for us to ask that He will provide that. It ought to encourage us in how we are to pray for one another and to be faithful to do it. May God equip you. May God do His will. Notice the third thing that is here, for this is quite interesting. It says the next phrase, working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight. If I may summarize where the end of this is, it is may God take pleasure in you. Friday evening, our family got together, the whole family, for the first time, I think, since before all of this COVID mess. 
as I'm sitting in the backyard, we're having a birthday party for my mother-in-law, and I'm watching uh, my kids there and my grandkids, and the grandkids are all running around and playing with each other in the backyard, and we're having a great old time. I just couldn't help smile and smile and smile. This is awesome. What a delight. And I want God to think of me like that. Don't you? To look at you and smile. But I rarely imagine that God ever thinks of me like that. In my imagination, I figure that when God looks at me, what He usually thinks is something like, Yep, there he is. I agree, he is somewhat of a loser, but he's my son, and I love him anyway. Do you ever think God looks at you like that? All the time. But the prayer is, may God look at you and smile. Now, what what is interesting is how we get there. Because the prayer is, May God equip you with everything good so that you may do His will so that God looks at you and smiles, but there's something in the middle. Did you see what it is? Working in you that which is pleasing in His sight. You know who's working all this? God is. When God equips us with everything good and so that we do His will, When we do His will, what we discover looking back is that all along, God was doing it all in us, working it in us to bring a smile on His face as He takes pleasure in us. It blows me away. By the way, it's just what Philippians Philippians says where it says, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. You know what the next verse says? Because God is at work in you. That's a deep thing that I will never understand fully, but all of the Christian life is a we do, and you look at it from the other side, and it's God doing it all. But we have to do, but He does it. But we have to do, but He does it. And, and my, your brain will smoke when you just try to put all that together. Really good news, brothers and sisters. God is at work in us. God is at work in us for our good and for His glory. And He takes pleasure in us. And you know some more good news? He's going to finish the job. Also over in Philippians, in Philippians chapter 1, it says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's going to finish it. We will finally be what we ought to be. As the old hymn goes, then we shall be where we should be. Then we shall be what we should be. Things that are not now nor could be soon shall be. I love that. It's so true. Third part of this prayer, very quickly. There's the foundation of the prayer. There's three prayer requests. And then there is, and I'll use this word. It's not here in the prayer. But there's a doxology. A doxology is simply, it's a Greek word that means speaking glory. And he ends this prayer speaking glory. 
giving praise to God. He says, all of this, what we've just talked about, is done through Jesus. It's God is accomplishing it all through him, not through the power of our strength, not through the words we have. He's not doing it because we are worthy. He's not doing it because we're attractive. He's not doing it because we're so likable and lovable and warm and fuzzy. He's not doing it through our efforts, no, nor our goodness. It's all about God's grace through Jesus Christ. And so, he says, to him be the glory forever and ever. May Jesus be praised forever. Now, that's the prayer. This, brothers and sisters, is how we ought to pray for one another. It's not how we usually pray, is it? But this is what we really need. This is what I need. This is what our missionaries need. This is what you need. So, let's let this shape our prayer life a little bit in the week ahead. Man, there's another way to apply this in which I want to do this morning, and that is to give praise to our great God and Savior. And we're going to finish that by taking communion together. We, we won't be long here. But in so doing, I, as we take communion, we're going to remember what Jesus has done for us. But now I want to go back to the first part of this prayer and go back to those four things we mentioned that are the foundation, the basis of this prayer to review what God has done for us through His peace and His power and His protection and His purpose. Where he says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Let's just see four things here. I go back again to those four things. The peace of God. See, God has provided the means for us to have peace with Him. For us to be at peace with Him. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Therefore since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. This is important. It's good news. It's wonderful news because you see, you go down just a few verses there in Romans 5. You get to verse 10 where it says this. It says that we were once enemies of God. Brothers and sisters, that's not a good place to be. You can have a lot of people as enemies, and that's bad, but there's no worse position to be in than to be God's enemy. But thankfully, as verse 10 goes on, it says, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. See, that's why coming to this table is significant. I'm pointing here to where the trays usually sit because I miss those. I'm going to be glad when we get away from the little thing you have to peel off in the wafer and we have the, the bread that you break. The picture is there, but you see, it reminds us of the death of Jesus Christ. We have peace with God because the bread and the cup, they picture the death of our Lord Jesus. It's called the table of communion because we remember that through the death of Christ, we now have communion. We have fellowship between us and God. It talks here again, this verse goes on talking about the power of God who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. God, through His power, brought Jesus back from the dead, never to die again. 
His resurrection provides assurance that Jesus, both fully God and fully man, that when He died on the cross, His sacrifice for our sin was accepted. It was sufficient. Our sin is paid for. It is covered. And the resurrection is God's guarantee that you and I will likewise, because of Jesus, be resurrected to eternal life. That's the power of the resurrection. And there's the protection and care of God here. Shows up where it calls Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep. You know, sheep are notoriously defenseless. They can't defend themselves. Sheep are notoriously helpless and dumb. Which is why I think the Scripture so often calls us sheep. Because we think we are so smart and we are so foolish. We think that we are so capable and we are so weak and needy. We think we can take care of ourselves. We can't. But God raised Jesus from the dead and He has made Him the great shepherd who cares for us, the great shepherd who never leaves us, the great shepherd who never forsakes us, the great shepherd who never fails who by His own word in John chapter 10 will not lose one sheep the Father has given to Him. We are secure in Jesus. Fourthly, this verse speaks of the blood of the eternal covenant and we mentioned it's the purpose and the plan of God. God has a purpose and a plan for us. Secured by the blood of Jesus Christ, as it says, a covenant, the covenant that guarantees that those of us who trust in Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven, we have an eternal destiny, and God delights in us, and we will delight in Him forever and ever and ever. That is not true of every person on this planet That is only true of those who trust in Jesus Christ. May I say that if you have not yet trusted in Jesus Christ, whether you're here this morning or watching at home, all you need to do is simply turn to God and say, God, I understand that I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I trust Jesus. I believe in Him. The Bible says God does not turn you away, but instead He welcomes you into His family. He adopts you as His son. And all of these things that we've just said about God, His his power, His his, uh, peace, His power, His protection, and His purpose, they are all true of you. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for prayer. We've learned so much. We've seen so much in this passage this morning. We realize what a great blessing it is. Because of these last truths that we just read, we understand that every one of those requests will be answered. And so how we ought to be faithful to pray for one another. So Father... Thank you for giving us the opportunity to have an audience with you whenever we desire. Forgive us for our negligence in prayer. 
for undervaluing prayer and, and neglecting time with you, for treating prayer as unimportant, and allowing ourselves to be distracted by so many other useless and unimportant things, for thinking that we don't need prayer, we are doing fine on our own, for simply missing the blessings that you long to give us and give to others if we will simply pray in the scripture, James wrote, you have not because you do not ask. Sadly, Father, that is often true of us. And Father, we ask that you would help us to be more faithful in these things, to avail ourselves of this grace that you have given to us of prayer. May we take these lessons that we've learned in these prayers this morning, and may we pray accordingly this week. Father, we're in awe of your love for us the grace and mercy you have given to us. Such love that you sent Jesus, your son. That God became one of us. He walked among us. He showed us your glory. He suffered at our hands. He died on the cross because of our sins and in our place. Thank you that Jesus rose from the dead, that our sins now are forgiven. Sin and death are conquered. Resurrection is assured, and our destiny is guaranteed. So, Father, as we come now to this table of communion, we do so with rejoicing. We ask that Jesus be exalted and that he be glorified. This we ask in his name.